Hello listeners of the Ordinary Saints podcast, it's Richard here with a quick announcement just before we get into this week's episode. So in recording this episode, Sarah and I were at the Diocesan Ministry Conference and at the end of each day we simply sat down with a recorder, a handheld recorder and shared some thoughts about how we were finding the conference. Unfortunately being quite new to podcasting, I didn't think very carefully about where I was putting my hands or the fact that I was a bit fidgety and the fact that I left one of the covers off the microphones which means that there are some little pops and whistles. The sound quality isn't everything that it could be, it's certainly not as good as it normally is. Some of that's just part of the learning experience but I thought I would just give you a heads up that if you find that sounds move around strangely at times that's all my fault. That's because I moved around the recorder and it makes it sound like we're swirling around the room. Anyway, that said, I hope you enjoy this episode. The Ordinary Saints Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Saints Podcast. Um, we are out in the field yet again. We are, we are indeed, in uh, Bishop Selwyn Chapel in Holy Trinity Cathedral. Uh, so what have we been doing here today, Sarah? We are attending the annual ministry conference, and this is one of those things that not everyone will often know about, um, because it's usually for uh, licensed lay leaders and clergy. Yeah, yeah, so what licensed means is the way the Anglican Church operates is that to carry out kind of an official role in ministry you need to have this thing called a license and the bishop is the person who gives you a license and with a license comes certain responsibilities, you've got to have had a certain level of training and you have to have some ongoing training and so that's essentially what this thing called diocesan ministry conferences are is about is that everyone who holds a license whether you're a layperson or ordained uh, you're expected to come and participate in this ongoing training. Yeah and I think it's a really great thing because the purpose of this is so that we're all being upskilled you know so we come together once a year and as part of our responsibility we're committing to making sure that we are continuing to build our skills as leaders so that we can work with people more effectively. Uh, And today's, uh, sorry, this year's theme is really, really on point for that. So Richard, tell us a little bit about the theme. So the theme is the map is not the territory. Yeah, which sounds abstract, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is quite abstract. But what it's talking about and what it's getting at, well, look, broadly, it's about mental health. Yeah. That's what this um, particular conferences focused on and the idea of that the map is not the territory is just that realization that even though we might know lots of things about people or or the brain or, or the brain or how things work and so on that's different to what people are actually like in their real life experience mm, yeah and the experience of you know uh, people under mental uh, suffering mental distress or even just the experience of diseases to do with the brain for example mm. while there's only there's so much we know about it there's a whole bunch that we'll never be able to grasp I love there was a particular quote today which I loved and it was you need something greater than the human brain to understand the human brain and I thought wow yeah. that's really profound um, and Sarah Moss uh, who's our diocesan ministry educator uh, linked that to God actually she was like oh it's a little bit like God um, and so what we're dealing with here is, is a lot of mystery really when we talk about the brain and, and um, mental illness as well because there's so much we just don't know. 
Yeah, so on that point, there have been a number of sessions uh, over the course of today with a bunch of, well, different sort of experts in their areas. And the first person who spoke this morning was distinguished professor, Indeed, yeah. uh, Dr. Richard Fall. So he set up one of the kind of leading laboratories for the study of the brain, not just here in New Zealand, but actually in the world. Um, and he's devoted his entire career to understanding the human brain. Um, and he shared all sorts of things about what we know about the brain and how his research progressed. And yeah, that probably led to the first sort of icky, uncomfortable moment of the day. Indeed, which was, he brought out an actual brain. Yeah, actual brains. Like and a real brain. <laughs> like, and, and he had <laughs> multiple <laughs> brains, actually. actually yeah. So he, he first brought out a rat brain, and then uh, a cat brain, a monkey brain, and then a human brain. And these are all, um, well, certainly the human brain has been donated to him um, and preserved uh, by a family, families where there's been uh, a major brain illness like Huntington's or Parkinson's disease. And these families have, um, he told lots of stories about these families and how they came to donate the brains and that they see it as this ongoing way that their loved one's legacy is continued and continues to actually make things better for other people. Um, and he shared all sorts of breakthroughs they've had because of that really generous gift. Um, so yes, it was a little bit like, oh, there's a brain. That's this is a, a bit, brain. Yeah, that's intense, <laughs> and I have that floating around inside my head. Really, yeah, um, it's a bit yeah. smaller than I imagined, actually. But like also, it has to fit in your skull. It does right? need to fit in your head, and yeah, <laughs> also just so complex, yeah. so complex. And he was talking about the uh, the neurons in our brain and how we have what was it, like a hundred billion brain cells in our brains. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was actually really amazing. Um, I was quite inspired. And look, I'll be honest, uh, when you hear a speaker who's as affecting as he was, one of the, he talked about this thing about brain donation, and I'm sitting there going, uh, look, I've had my experience of mental illness in the course of my life. Would they want my brain? And I'll ask him, I'll say, is my the kind of brain you might like? Because maybe I'll do that. Yeah, does my brain tickle your fancy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and it's actually quite cool, because I'm just going to me mention quickly, Richard, you're speaking at this conference, aren't you? Yeah, I'm speaking tomorrow. So I'm, And that's why I mentioned, uh, so I am talking about my mental health journey um, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about doing that but I'm sure it's going to go well you know it's Total a, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm really it's looking forward certain, to hearing your story mate well uh, yeah I and mostly I'm feeling good about doing it but uh yeah it's been quite overwhelming because as I say all the talkers all, all the talkers all the speakers we've had today have been really powerful mm. so anyway uh Richard Fall he was the first speaker this morning and then we had a session after lunch with Reverend Brent Swan, Huya Swan and Simon Bennett uh, so the three of them spoke together, they were all related, um, and they were speaking about the history of Maori mental health and various points in history that have impacted on the Maori community as a whole. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty mind-blowing as well. It was, and, and just hearing more about uh, generational trauma as well, mm. and how, you know, our sort of patchy, well, very patchy history in Aotearoa around sort of land grabs and stuff has been has been really affecting uh, for Māori ongoing um, and how that, you know, it's, they sort of uh, presented us with, with challenges 
for us to take away, and to, especially as Pākehā, I think, to sort of consider how are we uh, continuing on some of this intergenerational trauma um, mm. in the way that we are responding to those issues now uh, as they on go. And, and I have to say, I was looking at some of the photos, particularly of Bastion Point um, and that, and I just, I just thought to myself, my goodness, this, this looks exactly like the images from Ihumatau, but mm, also from yeah, um, Pūtiki Bay at the moment as mm. well. And I'm just I'm really shocked to see, gosh, this is still really ongoing. And of course, that's really apparent. But you know how it just hits you again? Yeah. And you think, wow, yeah. this is still ongoing and there's still stuff we can do uh, yeah. to, to support Māori and to, and to support the ideas of te ao Māori as well in terms of mental health approaches. And yeah, so that was particularly challenging for me. I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, there was a real challenge to be an ally, mm. and I really that really resonated with me too. One of the parts of their speech that really hit me was they talked about this thing called the, the Tohunga Suppression Act, which came into being in 1907. And this is a part of New Zealand history that I, I've heard it mentioned a couple of times, but I really didn't know the details. And it was an act that was brought in by the... New Zealand government of the time, essentially to suppress um, traditional Maori ways of providing healing uh, within their own community. And it was viewed at that time as with suspicion and as superstitious and not based in good kind of Western medicine models. And that's had a huge impact on their entire community and it's taken, I mean, in fact, the, that work of recovery uh, from that particular experience, now that, that, that piece of legislation went out of effect in the 1960s and was repealed, but the, that has just had this really devastating effect as well. Um, and yeah, I have several points of reflection, but uh, we'll move on to doing some other things uh, because, as I say, lots to cover in today's sessions. Yeah, there was so much to take in. <laughs> yeah, so much. Um, I'm feeling quite overwhelmed by it all. Yeah, and uh, the session we've just had was by uh, the Reverend Kay Brightley, uh, and she, before becoming a full-time priest, uh, was a child psychologist. And so that was really incredible as well. Uh, she started out by talking just about children and babies and their kind of interactions with us as adults and how that shapes their brains and how it shapes their behavior uh, and I guess as a psychologist she was right on point to talk to us about that stuff and you know I found that really as a, as a parent um, as well Ooh. of young children I was quite challenged by that actually. I was really challenged by yeah, that. Yeah thinking oh my goodness okay some of these things she's talking about um, that are positive for children and, and their uh, development I've been doing yay I'm going to celebrate that yeah. but there is so much more I could be doing and it was it was really useful actually and I really appreciated it um, just to consider not just for me as a parent, but in our parishes and our churches and just in general, because, um, you know, I'm a big fan of intergenerational ministry. Uh, and that's why, you know, we have children or we'll welcome children at our events uh, through Ordinary Saints. And it just sort of helped me to, to realise there's so much we can be doing for the children in our midst uh, in terms of helping and supporting their development. Yeah, and part of my reflection was that thing of going, if I'm really, really busy... If I'm really focused on my work and all of the various pressures that come with ministry, uh, yeah, my kids can really get the worst end of the stick on that one. And there are times where I definitely need to go, hang on, I need to slow down. I need to take that time to spend with them rather than just worrying about the next thing I'm worrying about. So definitely a real challenge there to go, <laughs> that's right. Crumbs, they're, they're young now, but they're so important. And am I really 
giving them the time and effort that they deserve. Yeah, and this is us just being really raw and vulnerable with you about what it's like in ministry. And, and you know, many of you who are listening will, will be involved in ministry in some way or involved with the church for sure. And I think leadership in any capacity, uh, but also in the church, uh, is a really challenging thing in terms of balancing our priorities. Um, and that applies, you know, if you have children or not, you know, just balancing the things in life that are really important and recognizing that sometimes, you know, we can fall into things like, you know, wanting to perform and wanting to impress and wanting to project an image of competence. Mm. Um, and actually there are things in our lives that are really more important than that. And so we need to be able to create a balance and a sustainability uh, for, for our families um, and ourselves in ministry. Because, uh, yeah, you can't help people, eh, unless you're, you're okay yourself. And I say okay, I don't say great, because, you know, when are we always great? But, you know, there's got to be that balance, eh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you've, you've just said we're sharing, you know, some of the reality of ministry, and some of the reality of ministry is that actually we're only human beings too. Mm, and as human beings, we have vulnerabilities, we have hurts, we have stuff that we're working through too. And in ministry, it doesn't go very well if you pretend that isn't true for all of us. If you get into that whole thing of, I have to be strong for everyone, typically in my experience, that's where the problems start. Yeah. Uh, we start getting into trouble when we're pretending in denial about, yeah, being human. I think, I mean, I might share about this more another time, but, but you know, specifics, but that's definitely been a trap I've fallen into, eh? Like, yeah. since, um, you know, the beginning of my curacy, I realised there was some stuff going on for me, and, mm. I, you know, physically, and I just, I denied it, eh, for the longest time, and pushed against it, and, you know, it was like, how can we fix this? The mentality was, how can I fix it? Um, but when I realised it's not going to be fixed, I was like, right, mm. I, need to, I need to be real with myself about what's going on. Yeah. Um, because how can I be real with other people and how can people be real with me when I'm denying the basic reality of my everyday existence? Uh, you know, so I think there is a strength in being able to, to acknowledge the stuff that's going on. And that takes a lot of bravery and courage, I think. Yeah, it um, takes so much courage. Yeah, because yeah. You, the, the temptation to project this competent image is so huge. And we need to talk about this more another time because I, it's just completely unsustainable, eh? It is. It's completely unsustainable. And the scary thing is I've been in ordained ministry. I had ministry before I was ordained, of course, but I've been in ordained ministry for coming up 17 years this year. Whew. And the scary thing is I've had to learn this lesson lots of times. And that's, that, that's the part of being human, right? We're all works in progress. Uh, and I have to keep going back and going, that's right. Am I looking after myself? Am I dealing with my vulnerability appropriately? Uh, am I getting the care that I need so that I can care for others? Mm. And uh, it's hard to keep those things in balance. And caring for others is really key, and I think that's some of the stuff we've been talking about today as well, what we've been talking about the brain. and Because some of the things have been mentioned, like dementia, Alzheimer's, um, mm. you know, autism, uh, ADHD, things like that, and these are not uncommon. Um, these no, are, not the, at all. you know, these are really, really common um, happenings for for us and the human brain. And I think once we get to a point where we can actually just feel equipped to communicate well and and support people well, who are you know existing with these issues, um, it, it's it's going to normalise it, and it's going to mean that we're actually just better prepared to be real and be vulnerable with one another. And so, yeah, I've, there's been so much to take out from today. Uh, yeah, it's been a really good conference, this one. And look, they're, they're always pretty good, but this one, uh, 
yeah, as I say, still we're both still processing so much yep, as you that can we've tell. heard and experienced today. <laughs> and we've got another day tomorrow. We do. So, so um, we might pop back tomorrow, eh, Richard, and yeah. just finish this podcast off. This might be a, a two-part podcast. Or, or maybe one part. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see how we go. If we don't, if we don't yeah. continue after this little goodbye, then you know that we're just doing one day. But yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, but yeah, yeah, we just wanted to check in with you and let you know about some more of the stuff that happens in the life of the diocese, and because we know it can be a bit shrouded from from public view sometimes, yeah, and I think it's sure. important just to know that your leaders are you know actively uh, wanting to upskill themselves and, and keep learning. Yeah, and the cool thing, as I say, particularly about this theme of mental health, you know, we're training today and tomorrow in something that is just such a pressing issue in our time and in our context. So, yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's been a good day. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining us. day two of this thing called Ministry Conference. And we did come back like we said we would. <laughs> we did. We've decided we will have a quick uh, wrap up of the second part, except I think it's going to be a real short <laughs> wrap up <laughs> yeah. because we're both really tired. Yeah, there's been a lot of um, input, a lot of content uh, over the last couple of days. And so now we've got to go home and sift through it all. <laughs> yeah, and I think for you know those of you who are listening who are hardened conference goers, you'll mm. know what we're talking about. And crumbs, this was only two days, but yeah. so much has been packed in and so much to think through and to implement. That's, I mean, that's the real challenge, the right? Real challenge, is now yeah. to take some of these lessons and, and put them into practice. Yeah, uh, so we started with a Eucharist this morning. Mm, yes, we did. Uh, so we had Eucharist over at St Mary's, and so nice way to start the day. Absolutely. Then we had our first session, uh, and yeah, how do you think, what do you think about that, Richard? So we had Dr Shirley Watson, and she continued on this theme around mental health, and she spoke really specifically about a number of uh, mental health disorders. She spoke in quite a lot of detail about depression. Mm. She spoke about schizophrenia, and she spoke about bipolar disorder, uh, and she talked about different expressions of psychosis. And we had opportunities to ask all sorts of questions around those things and to reflect on uh, the presence of those mental, different mental illnesses in our communities, particularly in our church communities, and how we respond positively mm. uh, towards people experiencing mental illness. Yeah, real important stuff to be to be talking about. Um, and, you know, it was day two, so, you know, we, it was the first session, so, you know, lots of enthusiasm at that point, but, and still towards the end, but goodness, you know, <laughs> it's a lot to take in, eh? Yes, so much to take in. And then, Richard, uh, we had the final session, and, of course, you were the speaker for that. So how did you feel doing that? Yeah, it was a really, it was a really big challenge. I have been working towards this for quite a few months. I was right back at the start of the year uh, that I was asked if I was prepared to tell my mental health story. So uh, I'm a person who has experienced depression uh, a number of times over the course of their life. The goal was really to have someone kind of on the inside of the church community to share their experience and what they've learned from it. Uh, and so that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> and you succeeded very well. I, I was really encouraged by your story. And, you know, as someone who's experienced 
you know, various mental health challenges, but also, you know, have been impacted by those in my own life who've been severely impacted. It's just so refreshing to me whenever anyone talks about it publicly, because I still think that, you know, especially in Aotearoa, it is such a uh, stigmatised topic still. Um, and I think that's reflected, you know, in, in the sort of structures that maybe aren't so adequate uh, to, to respond to um, mental health crises in, in our country. Um, but, you know, without going on a political rant, I just want to say, you know, it is really refreshing just to, just to have that, that stuff getting out there and being normalised a bit more um, because it is so common, you know, and that's yeah. not to take away from your experience because as you said oh, in your no, own talk, yeah, um, no. everyone's experience is different. And I think that that's a huge takeaway as well. Uh, so, yeah, I really appreciated it. And um, I think, you know, we did touch yesterday on this idea that uh, leaders in the church or leaders in any context, um, you know, can sort of appear invincible, you know, or they have this, yeah. this sort of... Uh, facade going on that, that everything's good and you know we're competent we're capable and we've got this um but no one's immune no one's immune no, to to mental no. health um illness and i think it's really it's really important to to just get that out there more in general so that we can have more honest conversations about it yeah and i guess that's one of the surprises for me in doing this is that yeah i don't necessarily think that i project an air of confidence uh, and so on, but apparently I do because you do. <laughs> lots, lots of people are, are quite surprised to go, wow, is this part of who you are? Mm. Um, and I mean, it says that those person, people have a, a certain distance from me because I think people who know me well generally know, yeah, this is, this is part of who I am. Um, but there is that thing of when you're in leadership, yeah, you people read things into who you are and how you conduct yourself. and. Again, we don't talk about it a lot. No. Now, I do talk about it in my ministry, not yes. often, but I do do it sometimes. And this was one of those challenges to go, well, mm. we've got a bunch of lay ministers, of ordained people, some of whom have not a whole lot of experience of working with people with mental health, and they certainly haven't experienced it themselves. So, yeah, I was trying to give them some insight into the experience and, yeah, what it's like and, and some lessons that I've learned along the way so yeah yeah I'm glad you thought it was good so it was uh, fantastic and cool. I think we mentioned just briefly yesterday um the or in another podcast perhaps that that well we at least hinted at it that there's this sense that we have our own desire I guess to perform and to be competent and things like that but mm. also there's a there's sort of a transference thing that happens especially in ministry I think where you know your people in your congregation or people that you mm. serve um, they have their own expectations that they will impress upon you uh, and those expectations a lot of the time you can't control and they are usually something like you've got it together and yeah, you know the yeah. answers and you can't possibly be struggling with anything like that yeah. because you're the one that's holding us together you yeah, know and it's yeah. like well <laughs> that's sorry to break it to your church that's an illusion yeah. <laughs> we've all got our stuff um, and that's part of what makes faith real and part of what makes us probably better leaders as well that we can relate you know and that we can actually say you know what i know suffering uh, i don't know it exactly the way you know it because who can but i know it and i've experienced it and that i think helps us to be better informed to help others to be honest yeah i think people don't realize how terrifying leadership is sometimes mm, um, 
And so that is part of it, I guess. We need to project an era of confidence, I guess. But uh, yeah, there are definitely times where leadership is scary. And for me, today was one of those times. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was definitely one of those times. And how many years have you been ordained now, Richard? Oh, 17. Okay, so that's <laughs> hugely uh, comforting to me uh, yeah. as someone who's, what, nearly three years into ordained ministry, mm. um, that at 17 years in, you can still feel these moments of terror <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not, I was sort of not convinced that they're ever going to go away and it's, it's proof that, you know, maybe mm. they just won't and that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, bec- they become less frequent. Mm, uh, I'll say that. That's good to much. know. <laughs> yeah. Look, Nervousness is a sign that you're taking things seriously. And As my mother always says. Yeah, so, and that's what this conference has been about, right? Mm. It's been about thinking about mental health and taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, I think it's been an awesome conference. Mm. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I spoke this afternoon. No, uh, he was saying that yesterday, just for the record. <laughs> I think the whole thing's been really great and we've learned heaps and yeah. we've shared some of it with you guys and we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming along the journey with us. And we're going to hear a little snippet from Richard's talk. It is very easy to look at many of the talents we celebrate as a church. The moving sermon, the beautiful singing voice, high regard for the liturgical calendar. It's easy to talk about virtues like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. You know, you know that stuff. We all know that stuff. It is much harder to name the experience of depression as a gift. It is hard because some of us who have lived through times like those I've shared with you today don't make it. I have lost friends. I have even lost parishioners to suicide. And suicide is hard to theologize. Well, it's hard to theologize it well. So please understand what I'm about to suggest comes from a place of, look, I've been there. I've tried hard to find theological meaning in my depression. Joy Cowley's story dares to suggest that the places of darkness and hurt in our lives can become gifts. In the words of the story, It is all unborn resurrection, and resurrection is the beauty of God. I was one of the lucky ones. Not everyone is as fortunate as I was. Uh, But I would be doing myself, and I would be doing God at a service if I pretended that I hadn't had that experience of resurrection, while acknowledging that it doesn't always happen. There are good things that came from my experience. Um, I'm not going to list them all. In an earlier version of this talk, I was going to list them all, and I decided against that because I thought, um, I don't really want to start a debate about whether I've become a more sensitive person, for example. (laughs) Uh, I can just imagine someone sitting in the back muttering, crumbs, he must have been unbelievably sensitive. That's fine, it's an obvious joke, and it's one that I would totally make on another occasion. Um, What I am prepared to say is that my life dramatically changed course in 1997. Uh, In 1999, I returned to university. I gained qualifications in psychology and counselling, among others, 
And those tools helped me to understand my experience more fully. From there I moved on to St John's College, theological studies and then ordination. And now, lo and behold, I, found, I find I've been ordained for almost 17 years. Uh, my experience of depression has not prevented me from having a career, serving the church, having a good relationship. I'm sorry, I undersold that, Emily. It's better than good. <laughs> a very good relationship. Uh, children, friends, and so on. Depression continues to be part of my story. But the difference is I have far more tools to face it at this point in my life. I know that if I am down for uh, an extended period of time, there are pathways to get back on track. Uh, and my hope is that by being open about this part of who I am, uh, that others will also find the courage to, to share their mental health stories also. Because, to summarise, one person's depression is not the same as the next. Mental illness thrives in a cone of silence. Depression can occur at any age. Talking about your mental health challenges helps. You may not be able to see depression from the outside looking in. And I've got one final point I want to add on, and I separate that out, and I'll put it up in a second, and you can read it for yourselves. And the reason that this point is different is because I can look at those five points and I know that I believe them. I know that I believe them. This last point, on a good day I believe it, and on other days I'm not so sure, but I know I want to believe it. Uh, so my final thought. Thank you. Thank you. Um,